great to be able to worship, isn't it? Just to spend some time in, in God's presence. I'm just going to read some uh, verses to start with uh, in Matthew 16. Just a, a verse, actually, in Matthew 16. And then I want to just talk you through, go through the uh, story of uh, the resurrection. Uh, looking at it from all of the Gospels, just the different angles that were, were given. And hopefully give us this wonderful picture of what happened. And then encourage us uh, all just to really understand and appreciate what that means for us all today. Matthew 16 verse 21 says, From that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Now, at that point, uh, after Peter had made this declaration uh, that uh, uh, Jesus is the Messiah, the, the, the Christ, um, Jesus started to teach regularly and consistently to his disciples about his death, uh, about his resurrection. He wanted them to hear the truth about Messiah, uh, even uh, at that time, they couldn't quite understand uh, what it all meant. His disciples had misunderstood, had a misconception about Messiah. They understood the Son of Man would be uh, the one coming as the conquering king that's spoken of in Daniel 7, verse 13 to 14. And they were right. But they hadn't yet understood what was also that Messiah uh, would be, uh, first of all, he would first come as a suffering servant of Isaiah 53, he would be put to death, uh, rise from the dead, uh, that he wouldn't see decay, according to Psalm 16. And then, according to Daniel 7, he will return as the conquering king as God's, at God's appointed time. Isn't that fantastic when you think about the scriptures, the, these wonderful scriptures that uh, were uh, written so, so many years ahead of time, that all of these things would take place. And Jesus was wanting them to have their eyes opened even before it had happened to see and understand what was about to take place. And we now know, don't we, that he's disarmed Satan. God has placed every power and every uh, authority under the feet of Jesus as he said he would. Jesus made a way uh, to be, for us to be reconciled, made right with God, and he's given us the eternal hope, the wonderful hope of the resurrection. And Jesus wanted them uh, to understand now uh, wasn't a time that this time wasn't the time for him to be crowned. That day would come. Now he spoke clearly and he spoke directly about what must take place in accordance with the scriptures. And this is one of the reasons why the resurrection account is just so compelling when we uh, look at it. How could the disciples, having been with Jesus for these years, have heard from his own mouth so often before these things happened. How could they be in such disbelief when it did happen? I mean, surely we wouldn't be like that, would we? Now, we can easily miss this as well, that what really struck me as I was reading through these accounts again is the sense of togetherness and community that Jesus' disciples had when he was uh, around. Uh, his uh, followers uh, were constantly uh, with each other and 
uh, talking about things. And, and then when uh, uh, people saw Jesus, the individuals who saw Jesus, we see the individual accounts in a moment. But when they heard and saw him, they rushed back together to this community of believers. They, they, they went back to tell the others, Jesus is alive. And they had this one thing in common, that they'd been with Jesus. He'd given them hope. He had healed uh, many of their diseases. He raised their dead, cast out demons, taught them how to pray, told them the mysteries of the scriptures. They had become a community centered around a relationship with Christ. All of them knowing him personally. Now, when Jesus, when they thought Jesus was dead, we start to see in the Bible accounts of how the community started to fracture. They went back to fishing. They traveled home to Emmaus on the Emmaus Road. They began to come to terms with their loss and move on with their lives. But Jesus' resurrection, Jesus being alive, that changed everything. Jesus begins again to bring them together. We see this wonderful uh, account of the resurrection. So let me just sort of paraphrase these accounts for you. Let's just talk them through. Let's get encouraged by what uh, happened in these uh, events. So, so Jesus, we talked about the crucifixion on Friday, didn't we? Uh, Jesus was dead and he was buried. He'd been betrayed by one of his closest companions. And... Uh, he was falsely accused, beaten, ridiculed, and crucified. His death, as we know, was an absolutely appalling death, not only suffering the indignity of crucifixion, but also rejection from people. They considered him accursed of God as he hung there on the cross. They shouted their insults at him. They ridiculed him. Come down from there, they said. Save yourself. Friday was a dark and a confusing day for those who knew and loved him. The shock of his death, the confusion, and the pain of grief, it clouded their understanding. They were blind to the promise of the resurrection. Jesus had repeatedly told them that he must suffer and be crucified according to the scriptures. And on that third day, he will rise again. But his promise was a mystery to them. Perhaps the grief and the shock and the horror of all the events that they'd been seen, that they'd witnessed, just swallowed up all of their hope. They were lost and bewildered in all of their confusion. But a brave disciple by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, now he was a prominent member of the Jewish council, also known as the Sanhedrin, and he hadn't given his consent to the, their decision to kill Jesus. And he was eagerly awaiting the kingdom of God, it says. But he went boldly to Pilate and he asked for Jesus' body. Now something inside of him must have told him that it's not all over yet. Something was prompting him that he could do something in, his, in the position he held uh, with the resources that he had. So he used his position to speak to Pilate. He gave up his unused tomb. Uh, he purchased linen cloth. He took down the body of Jesus from the cross. He wrapped it in linen. 
and placed it in the tomb, placing the stone against the entrance. Here's a genuinely caring, thoughtful man who'd been touched in some way by the life and the words of Jesus. Now, Pilate, when it says when he uh, went to him, was actually surprised that Jesus was dead. But he didn't take Joseph, uh, Joseph's word for it. He summoned the centurion, the commanding officer who had witnessed the death of Jesus, to come before him and to confirm that Jesus would actually, was actually dead. Uh, and this is no minor detail in the gospel account. The centurion did make sure that Jesus was dead, if you remember. He made sure that a, a spear was pierced into his side and that the blood and water, we said, flowed from him, which showed that he was dead. The blood had separated in that time. And the Romans knew how to kill people. They knew when someone was dead. There was absolutely no doubt in the centurion's mind when he told uh, Pilate that he was dead, that Jesus was, in fact, dead. And knowing this, uh, that Jesus was dead, the, um, and uh, the, uh, the promise that Jesus had made um, about his resurrection, now the Pharisees and the uh, leaders also, the chief priests, go to, uh, to, Pilate, uh, to Pilate. They hadn't forgotten this promise that Jesus made that after three days he'd be raised again. So they wanted to make sure that there wasn't going to be some sort of uh, uh, trick going on here, that, um, that they would somehow perpetuate what they believed to be a lie, that uh, the Messiah would rise from the dead. So they go to him, and this is what they say to, to Pilate. Sir, they say, when Jesus was alive, this deceiver said, after three days, I'll rise again. And then I'll carry on the conversation a bit. You can imagine it, can't you? What kind of nonsense is this? But we want to make sure that this body can't be stolen and hidden away. You know what people are like. They just keep these lies and this gossip going. And Pilate, you get the impression he wasn't particularly happy with their request for a Roman guard. Now, a Roman guard wasn't just one sleepy soldier that's left overnight to guard the tomb. What the Romans would do is they would have uh, shifts. Uh, a Roman guard would be uh, uh, four of the soldiers uh, who would st uh, at, at any one time would be guarding outside of the tomb. And then after four hours, that guard would be changed so that the soldiers were always fresh, always ready and alert to see what was going on. And then what they would do as well is they got, and we're told they got a, um, a seal, they actually sealed the tomb. So they got wax and they would have injected the wax into the gap between the stone and the outer edge of the tomb to seal it. And then they would get a Roman insignia and they'd, they'd imprint it. And that was the seal to show that this mustn't be broken. And the guards would then guard it. So you can imagine, can't you, that uh, there's the guards ready for it. You touch my tomb. <laughs> you touch that seal and you're in for it. Uh, you try it if you dare. And so it was well secured as well at that time. And the death penalty would have been uh, brought about if anyone tried to, uh, to, to open that uh, tomb, to open that seal. So the soldiers were given the authority to kill someone if, that were, if they tried it on. So I just want you to get a few of the details here so we see what's happened. 
uh, in the gospel accounts. The gospel accounts are making it very, very clear uh, of these events. And they are historically uh, secure. They're so, so... Uh, people have tried to disp disprove many times uh, the gospel accounts. And in each occasion, uh, many of those people who have tried have actually become believers themselves. So the disciples uh, of Jesus, along with uh, some of the women, including Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, and uh, Mary Magdalene, along with other women, uh, another woman we, we know about called Joanne uh, as well, were all together and they met regularly in a room that was called the upper room. And I can imagine, I'm sure we all imagine, we in fact were told that the atmosphere was, uh, was difficult, they were afraid. It was a tense, intense atmosphere in that room. And it wasn't encouraging at all, you can imagine, the, the way that they were, they were talking. What are we going to do? What does this all mean? I can't believe what's happened. This just wasn't supposed to happen. And we're told that, as I said before, that they were really afraid. But have you ever thought about this? Wouldn't you think after spending time with Jesus, and Jesus telling them repeatedly during that time, especially in that last week before his death, that they should expect him to die. And he said to them this. He said, listen, uh, Jesus said, I'm going to die. But when that happens, don't worry. I'm going to rise again after three days. Don't be afraid. Uh, I will be back. So chill out. Didn't quite say it that way. Feel like Arnie, isn't it? I'll be back. But why is this so unclear uh, to them? You know, now they were confused and they were afraid, afraid even of their own safety. And shortly after this, Mary and some of the other women, this is the, the, the day now, or the, this, this, the Sunday morning, uh, the day of the resurrection, Mary and some of the other women, they'd prepared some burial spices and ointments for Jesus' body on that Sunday morning and decided to go very early to the tomb, as we know. And it's a misty morning and the women are walking together. And as they're walking, they're, they're talking uh, about uh, how they're going to open the tomb and you know, what they're going to do and maybe even how we're going to get past those guards even. And uh, they're, so they're talking about these things. And as they're on the way, the ground begins to shake. There's a great earthquake. And there's a, uh, they, 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 they hear the shaking of the ground. And uh, that soon stops and subsides so they carry on walking towards the garden tomb and what they discover was the sound was the sound of an angel uh, from heaven who had moved the stone before the women had arrived the guards were terrified we hear in Matthew's gospel at the sight of this mighty powerful angel and they were shaken to the core the blood drained from their faces and they were just white with fear and by the time the women had arrived at the tomb, we're told that the guards had gone and the stone had been rolled away. They were astonished. How could it be? And when they go to, into the tomb, Jesus' body was gone. The two angels appear to them and they fall on their knees uh, as the angels tell them, 
He's risen. He's risen. Why are you looking in the place where dead people sleep? Uh, you won't find him here among uh, the dead. He's alive. So they rushed back and, uh, uh, and told uh, the, the others. Uh, James and John then, as we hear, rushed to the tomb uh, with some of the others following behind. They think the women have gone mad. And uh, going to the tomb, Peter sees the strips of linen and he leaves the tomb wondering what on earth could have happened on that day. Mary Magdalene, however, lingers uh, at the tomb and she hears some, uh, someone and she thinks it's the gardener. And uh, she ter turns and says, where have you put him? Where have you put him? Where is he? Mary, he says. Immediately she knows. Immediately she recognizes the shepherd's voice. She, she knows the one who's speaking to her at that point in time. She gets up and she tries to throw her arms around him. You're alive. She might even have done that. Jesus, you're alive. You're alive. Uh, please, Mary, uh, let go. Not appropriate right now. Uh, not, not at this time. I've got a few things to do yet. Go back to the disciples, he says to her, and tell them that I'm alive. So she rushes back, runs up the steps. You can imagine going up to the steps of the upper room, knocks on the door, and on the other side of the door, you can imagine the disciples. Oh, no, it's the Romans. They're here to get us. They think we've taken the body. What are we going to do? Tell you what, John. You jump out the window, says Peter. I'll jump on you. You'll be a nice cushion for me. John says, no way. We're already on the first floor. I'm not jumping from there. We should really have got a room, shouldn't we, with a back door? But anyway, you can imagine fear, wondering what's going on. But they open the door, and in rushes Mary. I've seen him. He was there at the tomb. He told me to come and tell you he's alive. Calm down, calm down, Peter says. Who was there? Who are you talking about? Jesus. Jesus, he's alive. I saw him at the tomb. Don't be ridiculous, Peter says. He's dead, you're speaking nonsense. Nothing's going to change that. Sit down, have a cup of tea. Calm down. They didn't believe her. None of the disciples believed her. Now, two of the disciples by now had just had enough of all of this, so they decided they're going to go for they're going to go home. It's all too much for them, so they leave. And off they go, and they travel down a road called the Emmaus Road. And they're walking home depressed, confused. And they bump into a man who starts to talk with them in this, and walk with them as he's going in the same direction. Why the long faces? Haven't you heard, they say to him? Heard what? About Jesus. Well, what about him? Everyone's talking about it. Are you the only person who's not heard what's been going on? It's a bit like asking today, isn't it? What's COVID? So the man asks um, uh, to tell him all about it. And as they're walking, the man starts to, be, uh, to explain everything in the scriptures that must happen. Beginning in Gen Genesis and all the way through to Malachi, telling them 
of the prophecies concerning the Messiah, his coming to earth, what he would do, how he would do it, explaining Messiah must die and he would rise from the dead. And as they approached the uh, end of their journey, the seven-mile walk, uh, the uh, man that they were with, these two disciples, uh, was set to continue. But he said to them, no, come, come and eat with us. I want to hear more about this. Their hearts, it says, were burning within them. What was being said by this man was really resonating with their spirits. They were getting excited about what was said in the scriptures. And so they said, no, come, I want to hear more of this. And so they invite him back home. And as they sit down for something to eat, it says that Jesus broke the bread. And as he broke it, their eyes were opened. It's as if scales just fell from their eyes and suddenly they saw and understood that it was Jesus that they'd been talking to. And at that moment, Jesus just vanished. He disappeared from their sight. And they say to each other, didn't our hearts just burn within us when he spoke to us? Now I know, now I understand. That's exactly what happened. When Jesus used to speak to us, our hearts would burn and something of the reality and the truth of the scriptures just resonated with our hearts. They were just ready to explode. He's alive. So they leave their supper and they run the seven mile journey back and they head back up the stairs and they knock on the door and you can imagine again on the other side of the door, oh no, what's going on? Must be the Romans. They must think we've taken the body. Oh, why didn't we just move to a different room? So anyway, this time the, the two disciples come in. He's alive. We've seen him. He spoke to us and he tell the story of all that Jesus had been saying to them. And they say, and the rest of the disciples say, you're crazy too. You're mad. He's dead. You're dreaming. And Mary sat there thinking, uh-huh. that's what I saw. That's what I said. Now there's three of us, and just at that moment, as they're speaking, Jesus walks in. No door needed. Their jaws drop. They're terrified. And the scriptures tell us they think they've seen a ghost. And what are the first words that Jesus says to them? To these confused and fearful disciples, he says, peace. Peace be with you. You know, that's the very first thing that flooded my heart when I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, when I believed what he had done for me, when I turned away from my sins and accepted him. A peace that I cannot explain flooded my very soul and my very being. All fear went. It was as if a great weight had lifted off of me and I felt just this pure sense of peace just filling my very soul. All of the difficulties and the problems and the fears and the concerns that I had just seemed to go in the presence of God as he just filled me with his peace. And Paul says at the end of his letter to the the Thessalonians, he prays this, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace At all times, in every way, the Lord be with you all. Jesus is the Lord of peace, 
He's the Lord of salvation. Salvation brings peace into our hearts. Spending time with him, when we have quiet times, or when we just settle our hearts before him, we find peace again. Cast all of your burdens upon him. Throw your anxiety on him, and the peace of God that surpasses all of our understanding, it says, will saturate, will fill our hearts. This is the kind of peace that only God can give. But the disciples were still sure that it wasn't him. Or they're just unsure that it could possibly be him. Even seeing him wasn't enough for them. They thought it said he was a ghost. And Jesus had to prove that it was actually him. Touch me, he says. Does a ghost have flesh and bones? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. And they still didn't believe They were so excited now. They didn't know what to think. So Jesus says, Oh, what's that I smell? What have you got to eat? And they had some fish, it says, and as soon as they saw him eat the fish, it's as if the scales fell off their eyes. What is it about Jesus and eating? (laughs) What is it about when we come together around the table? when we take communion together or when we eat together and fellowship together, there's something about fellowship with Jesus and eating, isn't there? They found it so difficult to believe. It took more than the knowledge of scripture for them to believe. It took more than hearing the very words that Jesus spoke to them to believe. It was all just too good to be true to them. It just needed a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Something had to happen. Something spiritually had to take place for them to see and understand that it was the Lord. I remember speaking to somebody who uh, was healed of a sickness, uh, incredible healing. And it was uh, that night when that person went home Uh, after a a powerful encounter with God. They didn't want to go to bed. Didn't want to go to sleep because they couldn't quite believe what had happened in their body. A miracle had taken place and they thought, well, if I go to bed and sleep tonight, maybe I'll wake up and it's all been a big dream. It was so wonderful that that person just couldn't quite believe it. Well, they did go to bed. They did wake up and it was still true. They had been healed. But this is the kind of sense that you're getting here, it's all too wonderful to quite believe that Jesus is alive. We've all seen as well, haven't we, those those clips perhaps of videos or even experienced ourselves where we receive something that we just don't think we deserve ourselves. It's too good to be true. Well, this this must have been how they felt. God is a generous giver. He loves to surprise his children. And perhaps that's why we find the crucifixion easier to believe than the resurrection. The resurrection seems too good to be true. The implications of the resurrection are life-changing for us. Jesus now leaves his disciples. It says that he just disappears from them again. And they're in a state of euphoria and wonder and praise and amazement and joy and full of hope. And again, there's a knock on the door. It's Thomas. And Thomas had no idea 
what he was going, uh, what, what he was coming into at that moment in time. He walks into the room full of smiling faces and full of hallelujahs. That'll teach him for not being in church on time. Tom, they say, you're not going to believe this. We've all seen Jesus. He even ate with us. It's amazing. He's alive. Now, of course, Thomas, we know, was overjoyed. He jumped for joy, didn't he? But no, he didn't. In fact, we get the impression that Thomas is angry. He didn't believe it. I will not believe it, he says, until I put my finger in the hole in his hand and put my hand in the hole in his side. What a thing to say. I mean, what a thing to say. He obviously wasn't thinking straight. He was upset. And just like the others, he needed the unequivocal evidence that Jesus was alive. He needed to see Jesus for himself, just as they did. He was angry and upset. The only person in the room who hadn't seen him. Can you imagine now, for the next week, for another week, these disciples are praising God, shouting their hallelujahs, talking about the risen Christ and the resurrection, and Tom walks in. Hi, Thomas. What a shame. He didn't understand. So after seven days, further days, Jesus now walks into the room. And again, but this time, Thomas is present. And he says to him, as we know, to put your hands here. Come over here, Thomas, he says. Put your hands here. Put my hands in your side. And you can imagine him falling to his knees and he says these words, my Lord and my God. Jesus, through these events, through Mary and the two disciples, through the disciples in the upper room and Thomas, he shows us all that we're blind, unable to come to a saving faith until Jesus Christ himself reveals himself to us. As Jesus said, while seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear. And also, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those, he said to the disciples at that time, who've seen, uh, uh, who believe and haven't seen me. I'm sure by now everyone in that room knew exactly what that meant. To believe in God, to believe in Jesus, without having actually seen him, would be an absolute miracle. He says, blessed is everyone who believes who's not yet seen. And that's us, folks. Blessed are we. There's a great blessing on our lives who have seen and understand the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in him, even though we've not seen him. But we have seen him, haven't we? Our eyes somehow have been opened to the truth of the scriptures and the reality of these events. And they just somehow do something in our hearts and in our lives that excites us and change the way that we think and live our lives in this day. All reasonable people looking at the evidence of the scriptures accept that the historical records that have been spoken about are just, are just cannot be disproved. 
But that's not enough for, for people, is it? They need to meet with Jesus, to have a revelation of him. And I believe, you know, for any, any of us, any one of us, who doesn't yet know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you say to him, Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to me. If you're genuinely searching for the truth, then I believe he will show himself to you. If you invite Jesus, he will come. Belief in the resurrection isn't just a side issue. It's central to the gospel message. It's a salvation issue. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless I preached in vain. So Paul is about to say, in one moment, he says, uh, that what you're about to hear, if you receive it, if you're standing on it, it's the ground of truth. If you believe this, you're in the process of being saved. Hold on to it tightly, he says. I'd say to Paul, this gospel message that he's about to speak is just the most important thing that you need to hear. He says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to, uh, to, to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Praise the Lord. He appeared to all of these people, and they were still alive at the time that these things were written. You know, if they... Um, if, if Jesus was still in that tomb, they would have just gone back there and said, yeah, but he wasn't, was he? He'd risen. He was gone. The, the gospel that was preached was the death and the resurrection. The resurrection proves victory over sin and over death, the defeat of Satan. It's the assurance of his coming back again, the day that's already been set, it says, in God's calendar to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is the only person who made, appointment beyond, who made an appointment beyond the grave, and he kept it. Now, he had read the scriptures and seen uh, his future in them. And we too read the scriptures, and we see our future in them too. His promise is for us that believing we also will be raised in the last day. What a promise. Now, the implications of the resurrection, when this truth sinks in, is life-changing. There is a greater prize than anything that this world has to offer. We know that, don't we? There's hope for everyone. No matter what our current circumstances might be, there is hope for you and there's hope for me. All things are possible in God. Life on earth is a pilgrimage. We're on a journey with a people of destiny. And we see everything now in the light of eternity. Think about your own life and your priorities, the troubles and the circumstances. 
and ask yourself, if Christ is risen from the dead and I'm to be raised with him, you fill in the blank. What does it mean for my life? How does it change my perspective on life? Everything will be changed. Everyone will be changed in an instant. And as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about our new and glorious resurrection bodies in Christ. What an incredible hope for everybody. John 6.40, this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up on the last day. There's going to be a last day. But then begins a glorious new day for all who've seen and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's a door for every one of us to open, to accept the Lord Jesus Christ is risen, to accept his death on the cross for our sins. This is the entrance point. And secondly, there's a need for every one of us to make a decision. Now, that word decision comes from a medical term, to make a decisive cut. Uh, Once that cut's been made, there's no turning back. Can you imagine seeing a surgeon and uh, he's uh, about to make an incision and he says to the nurse, pass me the scalpel. And she passes him the scalpel or he passes him the, the scalpel or her and about to make this incision. And he says, uh... Uh, where, where am I going to do this? What am I going to do? Um, where is that liver anyway? It's just not going to happen, is it? Or is I hope not. You make a decision for Christ. A decision that you're going to live for him. That he is, uh, he, he has died for you. Take upon himself the sin of the world. And now we can live for him. And thirdly, we surrender all to him. Open every room in the house of your heart, every room in your life, and say, Jesus, I welcome you. Lord, I I make you the center of my life. You're welcome here. Take your place. Don't restrict him from any area of your life, but surrender all to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe this is something that the Holy Spirit is saying to the church at this time, that we need to surrender everything to God and live for him. We have a vision of the future that creates in us a great passion, a wonderful hope when we can lay aside everything else for the joy and the glory that's set before us. And then finally, tell others. Go and run up the stairs of someone else and knock on their door and tell people he's alive, he's risen. Let people see in your own life the reality of the risen Lord, the resurrection power at work in our lives. Let's share this wonderful Uh, wonderful life Jesus brings us together he's alive we rush together to celebrate the life of the Lord Jesus Christ let's bow our heads and pray thank you Father Lord Jesus I believe and we believe that you died and that you rose again Fill my heart with peace and the joy of your salvation. Open my eyes. Help me to understand more fully what the resurrection means in my life. 
Give me power to live for you in this day and to glorify your name. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen.